Hi, this is Mark Rabin. This is episode 30 of Lean Blog Audio. It's March 9th, 2015. And today's post is titled Stuff I'm Reading March 2015, Womack, Sweatshops, Hospitals, and Surveys. So as, uh, as often happens, I end up with too many open browser tabs, uh, too many windows full of articles that I was going to potentially blog about. You know, I have, I have too much too much whip, work in process, um, things waiting to be blogged on. And that's a problem that Jim Benson um, will spend a lot of time discussing in our upcoming uh, workshop in Boston on March 31st. Uh, if you want to see links to the articles that I'm going to talk about here today or to that workshop, you can go to leanblog.org slash audio 30. So it's time for me to clear out some of that backlog of those open browser tabs and to uh, share a few articles I've been reading that maybe don't merit a full blog post. And the, uh, the first one is titled Womack on Sweatshops and Respect. So in the category of what you might call lean for social good, uh, Jim Womack, um, you know, the founder of the Lean Enterprise Institute, writes about the need for companies to prevent the use of sweatshops in their global supply chains in an article titled Bringing Respect for People to the World's Sweatshops. And again, you can go to leanblog.org slash audio 30 to find a link there. Womack defines a sweatshop as not just a workplace that's unsafe or physically brutal, but also as a workplace that doesn't engage people's minds and creativity. So here's a quote from the article. This is Womack writing. It should no longer be good enough for their contractors to stop using child labor and to provide a safe working environment. Multinationals need to assist their contractors in applying best management practices and demand that they use them. In other words, social responsibility on the part of consumer goods companies should require that they show respect for low-wage workers by designing good work for them to do and by tapping the brains of the workforce, not just their muscles, end of quote. I think the same should be true in any first world business and especially in hospitals. The second article, second section is uh, titled NPR on protecting nurses from injuries. Now I blogged recently about the need for hospitals to truly make safety a top priority for nurses and patients. This NPR piece dives into some of the preventable harm that occurs for healthcare professionals in a piece they titled, Hospitals Fail to Protect Hospital Staff from Becoming Patients. Again, we're talking about a lack of respect from the NPR piece. It said in part, Many hospital administrators overlook injuries among the nursing staff, partly because they're preoccupied with other priorities. Industry sources told NPR that nursing employees have traditionally ranked low in the hospital's hierarchy. Too many hospital administrators see nursing staff as second-class citizens, says Suzanne Gordon, author of the book Nursing Against the Odds. Historically, hospital administrators have viewed nurses as a disposable labor force. Now, hospitals make some efforts to help, but you can see the systems issue uh, at work here again from NPR. It says in part, staff like Moore, the ICU nurse, say they kept warning Kaiser's managers that while the steps seemed good on paper, they often did not work. When the nurses would need a lifting machine to move a patient, they would discover that some other unit had borrowed it or it was stuck behind cleaning equipment in a, in a distant closet or the machine's battery was dead. And when they would urgently request a lift team, they would learn that none was available because the team members had been reassigned to other duties. So Moore says, quote, every day you call and say, we don't have anyone to help us. And again, it would be the same thing every day, being jerked around. And by the end of the day, nobody ever came to help us, end of quote. 
Now problems like this can be solved through 5S and other basic lean methods, but it has to start first with a culture of respect. Now the final section here I've titled, Are You Happy at Work? Press One. So there was a Wall Street Journal article that caught my eye uh, a way back, and it was titled, Are You Happy at Work? Bosses Push Weekly Polls. Now I'm a bit skeptical about surveys if they're a replacement for managers really paying attention to employees and their work and seeing and hearing what's happening firsthand. Annual or biannual surveys are too slow and too infrequent. And this article from the journal discusses more frequent surveys. Now technology makes that possible, but is that really the right approach from the article? In the era of status updates and instant feedback, so-called pulse surveys are now catching on at work. Employers say short monthly, daily, or weekly polls, uh, sometimes a single question at a time, provide data on how their teams actually feel and catch problems before they fester. Frequent surveys are even replacing annual employee surveys that some companies' bosses say, although other companies such as Google Inc. use both. The trend is part of a larger shift toward data-driven work in which managers are expected to use data to make decisions large and small, from broad corporate strategy to which toppings to choose for an office pizza party. Mobile apps and faster analytics have put sophisticated polling tools within reach of even small firms. Now, organizations often worship at the altar of being data-driven. As Toyota's Taiichi Ono once said, data is of course important in manufacturing, but I place the greatest emphasis on facts. So are employees happy? Are they doing fulfilling work? Are they being placed in unsafe conditions? Are they not being listened to? These are things that can probably be detected without data. Leaders can gather facts by talking to people at the Gemba in the workplace. Again, from the journal article. Last year, Sears Holding Corporation started an effort dubbed Project Mood Ring to record store employees' moods at the end of their shifts. Workers choose a color-coded emoticon on a screen to describe how they're feeling, from unstoppable to so-so to exhausted and frustrated. Sears estimates it will receive about 28 million daily mood responses a year. So to wrap this up, I, I find this interesting. You know, Whether it's an annual survey or these quick feedback methods, employees will probably become more frustrated and cynical if positive actions aren't taken as a result of the feedback they give. You know, I still like the simple measure of the number of Kaizen improvements being implemented as a real-time gauge of culture, engagement, and satisfaction. What do you think? If you'd like to post a comment or, again, see links to any of these stories, go to leanblog.org audio30. And the last thing I'll mention here, you know, if you want to see what a culture of continuous improvement looks, sounds, and feels like, you can check out a workshop. Uh, it's more of a mini-conference that Joe Schwartz and I are holding uh, in April, late April, at his health system in Indianapolis. And we, we hope you'll come join us. So if you'd like to see a link um, to that workshop, again, go to leanblog.org audio30. Podcasts are sponsored by Kinexus, where we're passionate about helping the world improve and innovate more effectively with our web-based software. Learn more at www.makeimprovementhappen.com.